Now, you guys are going to think I'm full of it, but hand to God, I put in 007-373-5963. Took me right to Mike Tyson. No Glass Joe, no Don Flamet. (laughs) Oh, we're on. Hey! (laughs) Welcome to the Infused Show. Sorry about that. That was some backstory. Um, Big problem I solved. Uh, No worries at all. It's the Infused Show. It's summer. We're feeling good. Uh, we've had our we've had our shots. Francesca and Mike have fully vaccinated here for the summer of 2021. Good to see you guys. It's good, good to, see to you, be Nick. seen. <laughs> you know, uh, we're we're here, and uh, yes, Infuse Show is brought to you by the Sales Joint Sales Solutions that are crafted for cultivators. Go to thesalesjoint.com for more information on that. You could put in that Mike Tyson code. I don't know what you'll get. You might get to the final boss of, of the sales joint. I don't know. <laughs> um, but um, it's the FDA. Um, today, today, I wanted to talk uh, with you guys because, you know, we've been, we were always monitoring the market, uh, Mike and Francesca. And we know that 2020, we, we looked at it all the time to see what our next moves would be uh, and to see what markets we were going to try to get involved with. 2020 and now the first quarter of 2021, they've provided our industry with really, really compelling data. And it sheds a light on something that's uh, of particular interest to us being in this business, but also as us as consumers in this business and creators as well. So uh, the reports that we're taking a look at for our audience at home, um, we're seeing that the market is of course expanding and developing as more chips fall and more states fall into place. And as the, industry, as the industry matures, we're learning that the concept of branding looks like it's absolutely vital. It's a vital strategy for companies that want uh, to have market share. And that might seem odd to some people, guys, uh, because our industry revolves around a plant and, and, and something that comes out of the ground. But the data is really compelling for anyone with skin in the game. So before we talk about cannabis branding, I, I wanted to uh, see if I could get your expertise here. And Mike, Francesca, you've, you've done this sort of thing. You've been around the block. Um, can you tell our, our audience a little bit about what just goes into branding in general? Mike, you've done it. How do you, how do you build a brand in a marketplace? That's like eating a whale. <laughs> like I hope this is the fork. only question on the entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, I think, you know, a lot of people think branding is your logo and tagline and your color scheme and things like that, which it is. But it's, it's to me, I look at branding as the common thread that ties everything together in your company. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the it's the perception of what you are providing to your customers, whether it's a product or service. It's, it's your commitment to values, your commitment to quality, your commitment to your employees, to your customers, to safety. I mean, it's, it's like everything falls under a brand. And, and like, I like to think of a brand as an umbrella and all these things kind of reside underneath it and all kind of fit together, or at least a good brand should fit together because we've seen examples of bad brands and that's when it's like, Hey, we're all about equality and we're all about diversity. And then you see them at a trade show and it's 15 white dudes wedged into a 10 by 10. (laughs) You know what I mean? With the the professionals, according to established (laughs) protocol. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, but, but, uh, getting back to the analogy of being like an umbrella, it really is. And it should all fit together and all should be synonymous and homogeneous and consistent and 
kind of just tie everything together internally and externally for your, for your teams. And that's, I think my dime store kind of, at least my view of it. Francesca, what do you think? I think everything you said is right. And I think there's almost, you can't say too much about what branding is, you know, it, it is everything. So that umbrella analogy is really apt to me. Branding is about the personality of Mm -hmm. a product or a service. And so when you say it's internal and external, Mike, you're absolutely right. And what we usually see as consumers is the external facing personality. You know, is it that they care the most about sustainability? Is it that they care the most about social justice? Or is it about their quality of products? Is it looking elite? Is it looking hippie? Is it looking, um, you know, whatever it is, who your personality is going to appeal to a certain kind of person or a certain group of people. And so um, you have to think of your brand that way. It is the personality that is geared towards attracting um, and retaining, you know, staying in relationship with a certain kind of consumer. Hmm. I think it's also employees too, though. I mean, you know, like yeah. big on culture and stuff. And if you think about brands that are really, what I would call the iconic brands, and I'll just use like one that, top is top of mind with me which is espn right and like so that's a brand you know in the sports world and their entertainment of coverage of sports right but i know tons of people that are dying to go work there you know they come out of college they're a communication major they they love sports and they're like i want to go work at espn it's because of the brand that they've developed it's like a a lifestyle brand you know and Mm -hmm. and good brands will not only be externally but internally driven where their culture is people live that brand as part of their corporate culture. And and I think that's the other part of it is. If you, so if you look at a brand that does it good, say Nike or someone like that, mm-hmm. like that's a lifestyle brand, you know, yeah. like it, a lot of those like athletic wear things and, um, and, and just different things like that are people want to be associated with and they want to wear the apparel because they want to, that's like how they identify. Yeah. You know? It's and who that, they me, are. That's like the crown jewel of branding. If, if you're, if people are dying or clamoring over to wear gear with your logo on it, um, that's, that's the, you know, highest level of branding in my opinion. Yeah. Because it means a lot more than I like your logo or your colors are great. It right. means, it means I identify with everything that you're saying and everything that you're putting out there. And I want people to see that I identify as this. And so you almost, when I say a brand is a personality, it's because if a really good brand that lands really well that people want to identify with can be, become part of a consumer's personality. It's like, I'm a Nike kind of girl. Like that's, yeah. that's just an identity or part of an identity. And you're right. It is the crown jewel of having a brand. Yep. Some people get like real feisty about it too. Like I drive, my truck is a Ford truck and I've seen this this guy with like a Chevy and they'll have a sticker on the back with like that Calvin and Hobbes or whatever pissing on the Ford logo. Oh, classy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm just like, what the, like, is it like, I'm into my truck, but I'm not running around like starting to fight over it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I like running in these shoes. If you don't, we don't have a problem. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange, strange thing. Yeah. But I, I tag it to that. That I know I, I, I tried to serve you a whale in the first course, as you said. I'm gonna, but, but <laughs> reason being, uh, you, you brought us to this thing, both of you. That that umbrella is a really interesting analogy, is it not? Because people do, yeah, 
great shoes to run in, but I also love that Nike's got the, I love that just do it thing. You know, somebody mm-hmm. might identify with that. Somebody might identify with the way they're pushing women in sports and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and to have this attitude, it's like a, their stance and Colin Kaepernick, like they're, yeah. they, yeah. fact, they don't stay out of the political realm. There's a lot of things like a brand can get into the more brand acts like an individual, the more individuals are going to identify with a brand. Yeah, yeah, and that—that—that's why you know I, I love that you uh, that we went in a direction here with with Nike, um, because I mean that is an iconic uh, brand, and now it is a, a legitimate lifestyle brand, and it, it has been for years, um, and and that's just one of those like you can just look at it. it's a perfect example. In in cannabis, I'm really interested by what's going on in the past few years, and in particular the data that we look at from. Brightfield Group and uh, MJ Biz had a, a really strong article yeah. uh, at the beginning of this month on branding because the, the cannabis companies that have had skin in the game since their states went legal, the, the, the cannabis companies that have been at work in Colorado, in California, it looks like those smart companies were, were really biding their time really well with mm-hmm. working to establish a brand, not just making quality cannabis because i remember discussing with this with you and before we were going to do this as a show just looking at a statistic from brightfield saying that an average you know repurchase uh brand repurchase rate was somewhere along the lines of 88 percent in california and colorado that's almost insane so they were using their time wisely because i think everyone knows that Time is running out for these companies, these smaller companies in these states, because power players are about to enter the game, Francesca. I I think we all have a decent idea, especially you and Mike have a decent idea of who they will be or who they could be. Some people are still in planning stages. Tell us a little bit more about these big players beyond names. What are they bringing along with them when they come into the cannabis game? There's a lot that a well-established, well-financed, well-resourced, backed brand can do when they can, or a lot that they can bring when they enter the cannabis space. And I know the names that I've heard thrown around and talked about and written about in terms of entering cannabis are names that I certainly cringe at the idea of them entering. It's like Anheuser-Busch and Philip Morris and, um, you know, less cringy names, but big conglomerates like Jimmy Buffett. So there's- That man is a corporation in and of himself. (laughs) He is, in fact, the epitome of a brand. Talk about a a personality and a brand being synonymous or a brand being a person or being acting like an individual. He basically took who he was and turned it into a brand. Right. Brilliant. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was not a knock. That guy <laughs> hits home runs. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's not your thing, fine. It's a lot of people's thing, you know, and it's, it's funny. But anyway, like we see these names sniffing around or already in or getting ready to go. And they do more than bring their names to the table because a lot of times their names aren't going to be an asset when you're entering the cannabis space. People can look at you as a suit. People can look at you as the enemy if you're big pharma, if you're big tobacco, and you're trying to hone in on the cannabis space. And I'm certainly one of those people that would look at them as the enemy or, or be a little like, you're ruining it. Um, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that they have a lot established. They bring 
an established consumer base. And that means people already know the name, so they can they know to look for it. They know to trust it to identify with it. Yeah, exactly. They've used it before. They're already identifying with it so they can use it in yeah. cannabis and it can translate. It's like going to Olive Garden in Times Square. You know, <laughs> it just, you do it because it, you know what you're going to get. So, um, they bring that consistency. They bring experience, a lot of experience. They bring a ton of money, of course, which is huge. And one of the biggest ways that they bring money is that they already have an established supply chain. I mean, they, ha they can fill every possible gap that operations has. And so having that distribution, the logistics, the ability to scale their business is huge when entering this space because that's where the fight gets super unfair, not just in the wallets, but in the scalability of business. And somebody's already set up to scale. They've already done it a million times in a number of industries and they're poised and ready to do it again. And they have the, the deep pockets and the resources to last for the long haul. So yeah. that's, that's what we're going to be seeing. Yeah, yeah this, is a, this is a problem they've solved thousands of times already in terms of saying, oh, there's a new product to bring to market. Okay, we've already got that recipe figured out. So they just plug in an, any product into their, into their machine and they can let it rip. And I think this is a different product. It's gonna be different for them to handle. There's gonna be nuances they're not familiar with and their experience is gonna be, you know, starting from scratch in certain areas, but by and large, everything you said, Francesca, is exactly right. I mean, they have the ability to go, you know, from zero to hero fast because of their infrastructure and because of their ability to overcome logistics and supply chain and difficulties that a lot of companies struggle with. And I think when I think about big players coming into the mix, one of the things that I didn't think about until we were just talking about this was the use Buffett as an example. He's got mm -hmm. his established finhead community out there. Mm -hmm. um, his brand's established. As soon as he rolls Coral Reefer out, he's going to have people excited to buy it. Or any celebrity brand, you know, yeah. they they as soon as a celebrity attaches their name to it, there's going to be people that are associated with that celebrity and that that are now automatically going to associate themselves with that brand. If you were starting a brand on your own in California, and I, let's say you started it 10 years ago, and you come out and you go, here's my brand, I'm starting from scratch, I have a handful of consumers. You don't, you don't have any of that existing infrastructure, existing fan base, so to speak, that's gonna immediately identify with your brand. They've had to build this from one person at a time over years of kicking ass and growing great product and quality and, and consistency and safe products. And, that's a huge difference because, you know, I looked at like the, the MJ biz study that we were talking about talks about like relative market share. So in, so for flower, as an example, there's 28 brands that are half the 50% of the sales in California. That is like crazy that, you know, that's, it's that few of brands. Yeah. One, the leading brand is 4.7% of the business. Um, Washington's very similar. There's 20, 30 brands that are 47% with Fat Panda being 7.7%. So when you look at that, those, those two brands in and, of, in and of themselves have been grinding it out to build their brand over the last eight, 10 years or whatever it's going to be. And in a matter of months, probably, some big name corporate weed person company can come in and take a big, big chunk of that. Yeah. 
because of because of their established fan base and their established infrastructure. And, and to me, that's really scary. And yeah, and they I can feel, go cheaper. They can they can go wider. They can go faster. Yeah, and I, and I, to me, the issue I have with that is just what that means for all these companies that have invested millions into building their brand. And it's, it's like a race against time almost. And they see the sands sliding through the hourglass, and mm-hmm. they're like, "Shit, here it comes!" Like, you know, pretty soon here comes some some big corporate product that's going to come in and fingers crossed that consumers want to stick with us, mm-hmm. you know, because hey, like Nick, you said repurchases, what, 80, high 80s? Yeah. You know, the stat that was right under that, that caught our eye? <laughs> I do. And it it <laughs> was, ahead. let me, I got to I, I pull it up next. I want to make sure I don't botch this one. <laughs> it's <laughs> 82% of cannabis consumers agree that if the brand they're looking for is out of stock, they will choose a similar product from another brand. So that to me, was like the yin and the yang of consumer marketing in the cannabis space. Like, yeah, your repurchase rate's really high as long as it's there. If it's not there, nobody's going to hold their breath to, to get your flower or your edible. They're moving the hell on. They're going to buy someone else's. And, and so then does that mean that the repurchase is now they've shifted and you're not going to get them back or are they going to come back to you? Like, so that didn't go that deep. But um, those two stats there to me were like really troubling as a marketer and as someone (laughs) that's trying to build a brand and that knows what it takes to, to grind out wins on a small scale versus an established competitors. So it's, to me, it's super fascinating. It's fascinating. And you, you, you said that the one thing that, that I, I don't know if people, you know, people that can't go behind the curtain, uh, understand it's that idea of yeah but your product has to be on the shelf and the big guys can keep that product there consistently and fulfill orders and all right let's just go right to you know you brought up um, fat pandas big big form uh big big you know grower processor out in washington state uh we worked at that state uh for years we worked yep. it really well trying to get the little small tier farms on the same shelves as Fat Panda. And, you know, if, if a client came to us and said, yeah, I want to get in X amount of stores this year. I want to get these stores in that region and I want every tribal store that's run there. Okay, that's our job. Even if we went in and opened up all those doors, Mike, you were in on these meetings. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you don't have that operations side, that's the poison pill that, that people really don't uh, understand unless they kind of work in, in a certain role in this game. And it, yep. it can just be fatal. It can mm-hmm. be the Achilles heel. Yep. So that being said, and those, the, those established corporations bring all those things with them when they get in the game, the ability to scale because of resources, you have the resources, you have the money and the bandwidth. Those things aren't problems. Um, can, can things still go wrong, Mike? I mean, hey, you got financial clout and you're, you want to get into cannabis. Living on easy street, right? Yeah, it's a lot of people would think that. I mean, but mm-hmm. just I have two words for you. Med men. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's man. a great example of where you, you know, they had a good brand and then they yeah. want to go and, and bring in a, a high and expensive outside executive team, go and buy up the most expensive real estate in every major city, uh, spend money like drunken sailors, basically, you know, and, and assuming that that was going to spending money was an indication of success. And, 
you know, it's kind of funny. I think like a lot of big corporate people view a marketing budget, an elaborate marketing budget as something that's like establishes their credibility versus an effective marketing budget that does what it's supposed to do. And, and I think that's where a lot of this went wrong. I think they looked and said, let's just spend money. It's going to go wild and we're going to be a huge IPO and everybody's going to jump on board. And it just didn't happen. And it especially doesn't happen when you don't pay your suppliers and then word gets out and now you can't pay rent. And now, you, so it's, you know, that's an example of, of a, a ill-conceived strategy based on just spending money without understanding the market and the consumers and the product. Um, and I, and I think that's a good example where that demonstrates that just big corporations and throwing money at a cannabis establishment doesn't guarantee success. But, you know, there's plenty that do it correctly, too, you know, out there. But yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not a guarantee. What do you think, Francesca? Yeah, it's definitely not a guarantee at all. I think, um, <laughs> I mean, MedMen is the greatest example of that. It really is. And you can have... You can have money, you can have clout, you can have a following, and you can still fail in the cannabis space because there are challenges in branding cannabis that are non-existent in every other industry, pretty much. I mean, when mm. you're growing tobacco and you're making cigarettes, people aren't looking at it the same way they're looking at a joint because, and I think this is a difference that most people have yet to understand. When you're a brand in cannabis, you have to deal with patients and with recreational users. And so if you are branding yourself as, as a medicine or as a recreational, like, like you've got to speak to both audiences. And that means that if patients are using your brand, they need to have a repeatable, predictable reaction or experience every single time and that consistency becomes key so um you can absolutely fail because consistency with a national cannabis brand that is hard that is really hard because we're talking about a plant and shit changes in just a little change in the makeup of the plant how it expresses how it grows what it grows in all of that is going to affect the end user and um it doesn't matter how much money you throw at that problem. <laughs> the, the plant does not care. <laughs> so yeah, yeah you, you've got to be aware of that. Um, I think there's definitely brands that, that do it well, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that they don't suffer. Yeah. I, I know um, yeah. one that we work with is cookies, right? Yeah. yeah it's, it's hard to find. They might, they might have the strongest. If you look at it from another, another, you know, they check all the boxes, I think, you know, and even, like Mike, when you brought up lifestyle brand, look at, look at how much gear cookies yep. sells in yeah. everything from rolling trays to hoodies, uh, to you name it. Um, and there, I, again, I think it's hard to find a stronger brand in the game. That burner knows yeah. what he's doing. He, but that there's a guy that has, he has, and always had a legitimate connection with the actual plant. He's an um, OG. And so he yeah, could no, build he a brand on that. Yeah. But even when you build a brand on that, you can still struggle in certain ways because national brands, I think, are tough for anything, particularly plants. When you're dealing with plants and genetics and overseeing that kind of national brand is tough. And then there are, there are markets that we, we, you know, we read the same reports where maybe that brand just doesn't connect with a market for some reason. And you know, Colorado is a great example because yep, they, that's they've, been, they've been dealing with this for, for years and they, they, 
they might have a, a you know affinity for a particular farm and those you know those those dispensaries out in Colorado have house brands that some people prefer um, it, it really is interesting and it, and it is all about that consumer behavior Nick like you said because um, if you're in Colorado and you've been in cannabis for longer than anybody, you know, you're not going to be as easily impressed by a new name and a hot logo and all the talk and the buzz. It's like, okay, yeah. I've Star seen struck. this a million times before. <laughs> right, exactly. And now it's like, yeah, that's good. It is good. It's yeah. not as good as everyone's making it out to be. So I don't have to, I'm not actually interested in carrying that or even like some dispensaries could be like, I don't carry national brands. That's my brand is I don't oh, carry yeah. national brands. I only do small farms and right. I'm the small guy dispensary. And so you, you've got to look at all of those pockets of people and what they need. And if your brand can serve them or you're being really foolhardy to go out and say, I can blanket this. Um, celebrities, like Mike said, are you know a great example of launching national brands. You've got you know, the obvious people out the gate, like Willie Nelson and Snoop, that of course are going to be turned into brands and they do it very, very well. Uh -huh. And then the more they capitalize on it in terms of their names, potentially their, their brand health or their, the perception of their authenticity goes down. And you're like, oh, Snoop's doing a deal with the devil over here. I don't like that. Or, you know, Willie Nelson's, Willie's Reserve stuff, isn't that freaking good? So I know Willie smokes a lot. I know I'm not smoking the same stuff he's getting. So if, <laughs> if you have those experiences, suddenly your brand can plummet really fast. But yeah. celebrity brands are easy because it's like, it's the same way they sell face cream. It's the same way they sell their clothes and their shoes and stuff. It's like, I want to be like Michael Jordan. I want to be like Kristen Bell. I want to be like Martha Stewart. So I'm going to do the things they do by buying the things they buy or they say they buy and use. Right. Um, that's quality celebrity branding, but it doesn't always work. Do you think people are soon to, if not already desensitized by a lot of the celebrity branding in cannabis? I think the um, immature consumers are going to always latch on to that. Yeah. But the mature consumers, the ones who are more sophisticated yeah. and knowing what they're smoking or doing with the plant, um, I think they become real like, that's cute. It doesn't really matter to me. I only care about the quality of it. Right. And I was listening to a, a podcast and Seth Rogen was the guest and, and he's talking about a, a brand he has. It's just flour. And then he's got a bunch of other like home things like lighters or shit like that yeah. but as i was listening to it i was like for fuck's sake another guy with a brand and it's like <laughs> yeah it's, don't you it's, guys it's have like, enough money why do you need to do this in this space is like my gut reaction i get a little defensive about it like, yeah but i just off. i just feel like it's like a, a it's almost like too much to where now as soon as i see a celebrity brand i'm kind of like almost a weary of it i'm like yeah yep. whatever it's a, you know i'd rather just stick with what I know is good and I don't really give a shit what brand it is. Now, yep. If you're looking at the, at the specs, it doesn't matter what labels on it, but I am a yeah. sucker for a really good label. Though. <laughs> <laughs> <But> I, <laughs> and, I, and I think it depends. Like Mike, you and I are like, you, me and Nick are in this all day, every day. So we're very hyper aware of how many brands are coming into the market and all the celebrities that are getting in and cashing in on this and everything. And so we're, we're a little exhausted from it because we see it day in and day out. But I wonder if your average consumer or your new consumer doesn't have that awareness and they walk in, they're like, oh my God, there's 
there's a brand by whoever they want yeah. a brand by. It's like, Absolutely. oh, I definitely want that. So I can, uh, I can uh, see that. And then uh, guess what? 88% of those people are going <laughs> to buy that same brand again. Yeah, probably but, right. No, yeah. Mike, your question is, is uh, outstanding. And I, I think I, I really agree with Francesca talking about, you know, experienced and inexperienced consumers in that regard, because it is the analogy that you brought up earlier, Francesca, it's the person that gets off the train, uh, heads to Times Square and goes to Bubba Shrimp Company or TGI Fridays. And I want to scream 46 between 8th and 9th is right there. Restaurant row, go over. Um, or, you know, go anywhere, take a walk. But I, I see the same effect if you, if you go to Las Vegas um, Planet 13 sells out of Willie's Reserve pre-rolls yeah. because, you know, you might have a tourist who's like, I heard Willie <laughs> smokes weed. Uh, I got to try this. I trust him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you might learn, like, ah, the grow that they have in, in Nevada isn't as good as the Willie's Reserve from Humboldt County. But that's not the first time transaction. So that's a, that's a really interesting mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. And I, I have one for you guys uh, to turn the tables real quick. Um, I remember uh, when we were uh, working for the years we, we were working the Washington market, I caught up this, this one uh, dispensary. I had a great talk um, with, uh, with the owner and uh, the problem that we got into was operations. I got the deal. Uh, we couldn't fulfill. Weird, right? Um, that's the big poison pill. Look at Nick just wants to point out that he closed that guy. <laughs> but, but look, look, no, no, no. <laughs> Where is this story going? So the guy, the guy, the, the, the reason it's going somewhere is that he kept me on the phone because I, I came up and I said, we're a tier, we you know a small tier one grow, whatever. And he stopped. He's like, Hey, there's no corporate weed in my store. Mm -hmm. And he was like, so tell me a little bit about your grow methods and whatever. And he kept me on. This guy had the most successful dispensary in, in a college town in Washington. So, I mean, he was, he was doing something right, but really was proud of that. No corporate weed thing. Mm -hmm. Do you think if I make that same call in June or July, uh, he's going to be saying the same thing? It's an interesting question because I think a lot of people in this space will continue to stick by their guns with that. Mm -hmm. and, and, I've, and I've told you guys this before. I, I, I try to draw correlation between cannabis and like craft beers, but they came about differently. Like in the, in the beer world, you know, I'm a Miller Lite drinker, right? And mm -hmm. I, so that's where I identify and that's my lo brand loyalty there. But those big brands were established and have been established forever. And then craft beer, like for us in Delaware, it's like Dogfish Head and Dewey Beer Co. Like yeah. they, that community kind of rose from the darkness and then established their own niche. And cannabis is the, it's the opposite. You know what I mean? Like these small niches and craft grows have started and then they have grown into more successful, larger ones, but there's not that overarching threat of the, of the big corporate weed yet. So to me, I feel like a lot of these stores and connoisseurs and users are going to stick with what they know from who they have trusted for 10 plus years. So that's a really, really long ass answer. <laughs> I have. But, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm, I optimistically agree that there's going to be overall a resistance to allowing those conglomerates into dispensaries. And make no mistake, you will not be buying Philip Morris labeled uh, <laughs> cannabis. They'll call it something cute. They'll have a great Emo. logo. Yeah. It's it's basically like um, Marlboro can. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, they'll find, they'll find ways to hide it, but they, they won't be able to, of course, if you do any due diligence. Yeah. My fear is that you can, if these, if these conglomerates can get their hands on dispensaries and especially vertically integrated licenses, now you can't keep them out because they own the store and the grow and oh, they yeah. just put their grow in the store. And as soon as they build up that following, it's going to be really hard for people potentially to compete by keeping them out. Potentially. Walmart model. Exactly. I, I am optimistic in that we can keep the purity of cannabis. Um, but it, I, I think it will go the way of beer. I think it will be, you have people who are drinking your Miller Lite and your Bud Light, and you have people that are like, I'm willing to pay more for a craft product, or I'm mm -hmm. a patient and this is my medicine and I'm not fucking around. I yeah, need, right. I know what I need and it doesn't matter what label is on it. Yeah. It was, it was just one that I was speculating, you know, I wanted to get your opinion on it because I, I really did like this, this dispensary owner. I thought he had the coolest model. I'm just thinking of when, when these certain attractive personalities enter, enter the game and he's in a college town, here comes college kid after college kid with his money. Uh, asking for this, this particular brand, I wonder how yeah. long they can they can hold out. It's it's just it's true. So that's, that's you're a, a store. Spin. You got to serve your customers. If they're asking yeah. for it, what are you going to yeah. do? Keep telling them no? Like a absolutely. Get on your soapbox to them. That's a not going to keep your business running. Absolutely. And, and may, may I might I just say if dog fish challenge. Head, if Dogfish Head or Dewey Beer Co. want to send us something, we'll gladly uh, drink it during the podcast, review it, you know, some certain machines. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, let, let me uh, ask you, we're still in this period where we have some finite time. The brands that are out there that have worked and established themselves that are, that are doing it well, um, any, anyone come to mind, Francesca? Yeah, I really admire um, Select. They were yeah. a brand that I didn't pick because I knew anything about their brand back when I first tried them out. It was, it was literally like, I think I was going based on terpenes and price was essentially what I was looking at. And um, the more I, I loved their vape pens so much and I ended up looking into them and I'm like, what, what a strong survivor of a brand in a lot of ways, because I believe you can yell at me if I'm wrong, but I believe that they started out like their whole thing was vaping. Well, when Vapegate happened, you know, <laughs> yes, they've, they've branched out and they have edibles and they have other things that they offer now, but I think they were known for their vapes. And so when Vapegate happens, I think it's really easy for a brand to pivot and be like, Oh no, no, we're not vapes. We're not vapes. Look at all these edibles we have. And I, and you see their brand story is really like, if we don't believe people are going to stop vaping, you want to, you can vape if you vape with the quality that we deliver. And they really doubled down on what they do. And they said, here's what we don't do. Here's what we do. Here's what you can expect. Here's what we promise. And from my experience is that they absolutely deliver on that. And so I think that's a strong brand as somebody who who stands by their work and can defend it, who can, when you go on their site or you read about them, it matches your experience. And they're already, you know, pretty established in a number of places. So I have a lot of high hopes that they are somebody that's going to stick around. And I hope so, because I love their stuff. I love select babes. <laughs> what about you, Nick? Um, I, I tend to, you know, go in this, 
direction where I do look at the, you know, we, I've worked with, with small farmers in this, in this game, but I think somebody that's been almost like a hero and like a touchstone. And if there was ever an opportunity for us to work with him would be um, uh, John Casali at Huckleberry Hills farm in Humboldt. So I guess they're not a little guy cause you're in the Emerald triangle. Right. But I'm talking, it's just the way that guy maneuvers is brilliant to me. I mean, so good that Willie Nelson came to him and said, can you grow me a strain? And he, he carries one called Huckleberries is a, is a Willie's reserve uh, strain that John grows for him. But John Casale took, he just took his story. He has the, 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 the luck of being a second generation cannabis farmer. Um, the most environmentally friendly farm I've seen. And, and why have I seen it? Cause he consistently tells his story, uh, utilizes every platform he can. Uh, Huckleberry Hills Instagram account is fantastic. And I'm like, man, this small farm that might not have all the, the resources that we talked about before, he does his thing. And I think you, you look at him and say, the guy went to jail back when this was illegal. He went to jail for 10 years and he made a deal with himself that he was not gonna come out bitter. Um, and he was just going to tell his story and make that part of the farm. And, and you know, there's, it's crazy how much I know about the guy because you wanna know more. I wanna right. know that every, the genetics on that farm, everything's crossbred with Fruit Loops because that's what his mom grew 40 years ago. I mean, mm -hmm. it, that, that's and I'm brilliant. like- the difference, the difference to me is that what he has is a cannabis brand. What yeah. is coming are brands that are trying to get into cannabis. Ooh. There's a huge difference there. The plant existed way before there was an industry for yeah. it to be marketed and sold, and yet it still was sold and used. So I think, Mike, your whole analogy about the beer and, you know, it starts big and then goes small and cannabis starts small and is now coming big is really apt. And it's also yeah. fair to say that unlike anything else that we can think of at least, there was no industry, but there was still product and right. it still got out there. And so that, that black market, um, I think it's going to take a long time for that to fade away and the respect that is, and I'm glad because there's a lot of respect that's due to people like him that um, yeah. deserve the success that they get. But yeah. he's a real cannabis brand for sure. Oh, that's what yeah. it, that's like a model. Yeah. Yep. True blue, true blue. I, I, you know, that's just the one I go to. So if I, if I, focus there for a minute guys like like him who might not you know have the 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 pedigree of a john casali and, and work that hard we know we you know we know incredible craft growers um we've worked for them we we you know we we've done a lot of work in this space um some of them work incredibly hard harvest after harvest and grow great stuff um and i know they got to have certain concerns mike if i'm one of these little guys and i see the the tide turning what can I do to stay in the game? I think if I'm in those, in that person's shoes and I, and I see that there's a uphill fight against some bigger players that are going to start entering the market. I think there's a couple different things. I know Francesca and I have brainstormed this in the past. Like what's the top four or five things, but first and foremost for me at least would be product quality. Right. And, along with quality, I would bring in their consistency and safety. Cause I think those, mm -hmm. those are like the three legs of the quality stool there. No and I think without that, you're, you're going to have a really difficult time. Um, and just to 
get consumer retention and consumer confidence in your product, everything starts at quality. And, and so I think that's the first core thing that I would emphasize for a, a, a grower of any sort who wants to increase their visibility and stage to really, really focus on. Product yeah. quality's got to stand out. How about you, Francesca? Yeah, um, the quality, safety, consistency is 100% dead on the most important thing to have. And right behind that on its heels or even neck and neck is operations, like we've said before. But this is the piece where um, the money can can cut, can get scary because they have op- operations established and a lot of these smaller farms and smaller brands have people wearing multiple hats. But you have got to know that your job is to get your product onto the shelves of dispensaries that serve your people. So that's what what you need to look at when you're working on that brand is like, who are your people? Um, because that, where and where are they? Get your stuff out there. Make sure you are on time. Make sure you are consistent. Make sure you deliver. Make sure it's the consistency and the quality so that your end customer can find you again and again. Because they will. You just got to yeah. get there once. Let me ask you something, Francesca, I, or building on what you're saying, I, I, something occurred to me when you are talking there. We were talking about people wearing multiple hats, and we've run into this one a bunch of times where it's like, I can't make that delivery because I have to tend to the plants. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, that's a vicious circle. It and is. ultimately, you have to have the product quality, like we said, number one, but if you don't get it on the shelves, you're screwed. Yeah. And so, multiple hat. you said the money part of it, this is where it gets expensive because you have to have enough people, you know, to be able to handle the grow plus the delivery and operations and, and do the packaging and sampling and all the, you know, transit paperwork and all that kind of stuff. But you also have to have enough investment and inventory to make it so that you've got a steady flow of product out there so that when that you're not delivering one pound and then you don't have another one to deliver if it sells out in a week. And so that's the other part is having enough volume to support growth and having enough inventory to support the growth, but also having enough manpower to support the growth. Those are two expensive things. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things I want to ask you both, I'd be interested in what you both think on this one. Are you, if, if I was a grower and I had X, whatever pounds it was, would I be better off trying to serve less stores, but have better service and more inventory availability or more stores because I'm not sure what stores are going to sell out. So I'm trying to get into as many places as possible. That's, that's a great question. And I, you know, my knee jerk thing would be to serve fewer stores extremely well and, and become their top vendor if, if possible. Mm-hmm. And then focusing on the operations and because, you know, maybe it's, you know, pie in the sky thinking, but if you do that well enough, consistently, like you both said, I think that other kind of success will follow where you'll be able to expand and make it into those other stores. But if it's, a, if it's an immediate decision, I would take fewer stores and serve them well and build up your name, build up your reputation, become a favorite vendor for those few stores. Mm-hmm. Francesca? I think the way you asked the question is the answer, the right answer is right there. It's fewer stores well, because the opposite answer is more stores poorly. <laughs> Nobody's going to choose, you know, serving more stores poorly. But I get, you do have to find that sweet spot in volume that you can service them, but that the sales that you're making 
have a long-term plan to grow your business to support the business. You can't just be like, I can't wait to serve these three stores for the rest of my life and grow a thousand pounds every harvest. That's not going to work. So it is a numbers game that you have to play with all the numbers. How much are you spending on your manpower and your overhead? How much are you spending on your grow? And you do have to have, um, you know, all of those things in place. And the other thing I was thinking, Mike, you said, you know, you can't grow one pound. And then when they sell out in a week, they have to wait three months for the next pound. Mm -hmm. That is such a good point because you, you are dealing with a plant that is subject to things going wrong that we've seen over and over again. And so if your next crop fails, what's your plan? What, what can now you've serviced, you've worked so hard to get these new stores and to make them your customers. How are you going to save them from going somewhere else, from losing that shelf space? So the answer is absolutely fewer stores well, because you can build a reputation as a brand and that is going to grow your business as long as you can, you know, focus with a growth mindset. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm with that too. And I, but I feel like it's what most a lot of growers don't do. I feel like a lot of growers right. get me in, that's what they hire us for. Get me into more stores. Get me into more yeah. stores. Blah, blah, blah. And so we do that. And Honey, then it's you like, can't handle it. You can't <laughs> handle more stores. <laughs> exactly. And that's what it really that's the part that's yeah, frustrating. You know, it's 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 really it's like the chicken and the egg. What do you want? I'm I'm in, you know, fifty percent more stores, but thirty percent of those hate me because I don't deliver. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So now your brand is damaged. Damaged. Yeah. Or yeah. I got shitty shelf space. Because mm-hmm. they don't really like me. They don't know if my stuff's coming or not coming. So I'm in the bottom corner over there where nobody's going to see it. Yeah, yeah, you're so right. It's so frustrating when that happens. Um, and man, the, the, you've got to be in it for the long haul. If you're there yeah. to be like, get me in, get me in and panic and like get in all these stores for what? So you can blow it? No. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why it's always an interesting it's thing. A good where question. It is a great question. I, I, sorry, Nick, I hijacked your, up, your part. There. I love it. I love it. I, it, it. It always makes me think about you know. I love it's like the 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 Mike model of yeah we can work together you know given these things whatever and then then you guys want us to go see the farm anyways it, what are we really working with here um, yeah. what's the realistic expectations of what we can what we can do together um, it, it really is interesting it, and it, that all comes from operations. Yeah. So yeah. that just to bring you back to the answer to the question Critical. is like product quality, safety, consistency, and operations are two of the most important things that you could possibly have. I remember we went to a farm and we're not going to say who it was, but there was talk about a lot of volume that was going to be available for us to sell. And we mm-hmm. went to see the farm. We were there and we went to the area where they do the drying and trimming. And there was two ladies that were, you know, I think they're part-timers, maybe they were full-time, but let's just say they're full-time. There was two ladies working there and a mountain. They literally were sitting on a mountain of bud. Yeah. I mean, they, there's no way they would have got all that trimmed in 10 lifetimes. No. Mm -hmm. And so that was to me like a, a red flag was saying, okay, well, this is going to be a problem in terms of capacity because there's mm-hmm. no, we, you know, we, there's no way they're going to be able to fulfill orders. And also it was a 
butt ton of different strains too. That was yes, the other thing. It was like, how many dozens of strains do you have? And like, I'm not sure where it is in this mountain of trees that's in this room. Yeah. But like those sorts of things, that's why I, I want to go see places. Why, I, you know, I want our team to, to lay eyes on who we're working with. So that way we know like, hey, he says there's a lot of available product, but uh, don't, it's far it's not, from it's ready really to go out not. the door. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's fascinating when you actually get yeah. your eyes uh, firsthand. Um, since the whole thing is in, you know, we've been, been talking about branding, like you guys have done this. People hire you to do this uh, in, in your past work. I'm a former, I don't have a, a, I don't have a branding team or I can't hire anybody, but w- what can I do to brand better? Is there anything quickly you can tell these guys? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the, the easy, the easy way is attractive logo and packaging and do what your friend at Huckleberry does and have just a relentless, consistent approach on social media. I feel yeah. like that is, if I was going to say, here's a couple quick hitters, I think that can make a significant improvement yeah. in differentiation. And when you do share everything on social media, share, share your why, you know, share what you stand for, share your personality, share, because when it comes down to it, if there are, you know, 10 brands that have blue dream available in a store, how are you going to pick which one you're going to actually use? And it could be because you connect with a brand being like, you know what? Uh, I love blue dream and I have these 10, but of these 10, only that one actually donates a portion of their proceeds to help get plastic out of the ocean. And so that I'm for that. I get to do a little two for run, a little feel good with my feel good. I'm down. (laughs) (laughs) So I think you've, you've got to, when you work on your brand, um, be absolutely authentic. Do not bullshit people. They will be able to smell it a mile away. Um, but yeah, you're right, Mike, there, there's logistically the, low hanging fruit. You've got killer logo, great packaging and um, who you, who you are and what you stand for are big for your brand. Those are pretty low, lower budget too. When you really think about it, social media is like, you know, it's your time and maybe some other people on your farm taking pictures, telling stories, being creative and, and telling your story in an authentic way. Like you were saying, Francesca, that's so critical. Yeah. Yeah. And that follows into like my big, thing for uh, small growers and I, I've worked in this role for them too. Um, it's communication. Uh, that would be my, yep. that is the one thing that, you know, you can do better than the big guys. There's no mm-hmm. question about that. Right. You're, you're no one is getting Jimmy Buffett on the phone because a strain of coral reef or blue dream wasn't up to par. But if a store has a problem with an order, uh, you can get on the phone, you can get that feedback good or bad, um, you can fulfill needs. You can ask them, what's it? keeping uh, retailers informed of what's going on with you, with your grow, and, and the same token, listening to what's going on on their side and mm-hmm. remembering it and communicating effectively. I think that sets a, a grow operation totally apart. <sighs> yeah, I, it, it totally I'm not sure anybody you. does that. I'm not sure. I mean, if you think about it, everybody we worked with in different states, how many of them would you consider to be good proactive communicators of, say, delivery issues or quality issues that one. they that they're in com- one? Okay. One. I, I, offline, I'm curious who that is because I had <laughs> I had a goose egg rolling. I didn't have anybody in mind. Um, but it, it's rare, though. I mean, th- I think we'd all agree that 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 communication is that's another thing that's free to do, yeah. and 
you want to talk about how to differentiate yourself and, and establish yourself as a top-end, reliable supplier to a, to a good dispensary. Like, just communicate. Yeah. Part yeah. of why Cookies does so well is because Burner – it's burner. I mean, not part, it's burner. Like people want to, to reach him or to it. And I'm sure at certain levels, he was very reachable for certain people. And so yeah. use that, that size, that nimbleness, that availability to your advantage, because it's impressive. I mean, you, you might be small comparatively in the market, but it's a big deal if an owner of a brand or the name that I bought is contacting me or available to me to help me with something that's, that's very, very powerful and should always be used as so, a brand advantage. And that's a, so think about this, say you're doing a demo day at a store. It's an important store and it's two tables. One has a sales rep who's been there for three months that won't be there in three more, three months from now, or the other table has the owner operator and, you know, main driving force of that farm. Like, you know, who you're going to be more impressed by. Yeah. Yeah. I also know who's going to know more, who's going to be able to answer all yeah. the questions, who's mm -hmm. going to want to have a conversation about their stuff with me. Cause I'll be like, mm -hmm. Oh, so what's the story behind this gets far more interesting when it's the person that actually started that lives the story versus somebody who was trained on the story in you know two hours and it was part of the story session. yeah right. exactly got the script for the story but doesn't live it yeah yeah and it, it's just like you know it's it's like things that you, you're trying that your folks try to teach you when you're young even if it's bad news give it to them mm -hmm. be up front but damn the, the, the weight in this is off because there was an early frost it's farming. Cool. But you, you told them up front, you communicate. Like I, it's, it's just, yep. and I, I agree with Mike. I, I, I don't know many in the game that, that, that do it and or that do it well. So that's, that's and really there's good. just no guarantee of success with, you know, I think that's ultimately like what my takeaway is from this Brightfield study on branding is that branding isn't a guarantee of success, but it is your best way to succeed in the cannabis space. So no. you have to do it. There is no doubt. There is no option here. You can't be some brandless, you know, fairy no. tale Cinderella story. Cinderella is a brand. Uh, like it's, it's a story of a rags to riches. So you, you need to do this and you need to know that it can still fail if you do it. But there are certain things that will cost you next to nothing except your time and energy that will make you more likely to succeed. You must do those things. I agree. And there it is. Oh, I just got uh, uh -oh. our producer fifth year actually sent me a, a telegram. Do you guys know you could do that? <laughs> uh, he Francesca just got a fax earlier. Uh, yeah, it's true. But <laughs> I, I, have an, I have an update. I have an update here back. This is an update uh, telegram format of um, the status of Delaware's uh, cannabis uh, uh, situation right now, if we're going to go legal or not. Beyond this podcast, nobody cares. <laughs> beyond, beyond the three of us, Frank, this <laughs> is just a this is just a blank paper. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, that's about where we stand. Yes, speaking right. speaking of the first date, guys, uh, we're rolling in the summer now. Like we said at the end of the uh, at the end at the beginning of of, of this uh, podcast, uh, is there a Delaware destination or or business that is uh, 
associated with the season of summer that you look forward to, to getting back to this year? I, I got Francesca. one. Good. Go Give ahead. Off, you go first. I want to <laughs> sit at, I want to sit at the damn, uh, starboard. <laughs> I was go. outside. I had to walk up and get my drink last year and then go home with my takeout cup. I am so looking forward to actually sitting down at the starboard this season yep. and, uh, and taking that's That's when it's going to feel like summer. So that's what I was getting to. What about you, Francesca? Hmm. There's a lot of them. I think food is always the first one that comes to mind. And when that happens, I think of two things. One is Rita's water ice. Because uh, wow. it's just... I don't know why it just says summer to me. And the other one that is much more, I think, I think it's more Delaware is uh, some $5 sunglasses from Ryan's gems and junk on the boardwalk. <laughs> I just, it's good, like, old, oh, good old gems and junk. I can't wait to lose is Francesca break 12? these by the end of the year. <laughs> I miss, I miss going into Ryan's gems and junk when they used to have all the decals that you could put, that you could iron on the t-shirts back there. Yes. Oh I, yeah. Old I school. used to find the, oldest one that no one had picked for years and just buy it so i, I think i had i had one it was just barry manilow's face and i just, put, just took it put it i put it right on i didn't even wait to wow. go home i just Statement. walked around you're like a hipster before they existed <laughs> yes that's me <laughs> what about you mike so you guys i mean i live in dewey beach in the summer so i'm obviously a big fan of starboard i have two sons that work there this summer now so that's yeah gavin starts uh yeah if i need my table bus fast (laughs) (laughs) it better be yeah it'll do anything great um but uh so that's obviously one but but i think the other one the one that's really jumping at me is i am dying to see some live music so like bottle and cork has like Mm -hmm. on um jam session on the weekend was on you know bands playing and beers flying and whatnot so that's and that's an open air thing too so it's like if it's a nice day that is a really really fun spot that's a way so i am definitely excited for some outdoor summer action like chomping at the bit oh my god yeah absolutely (laughs) francesca picked the ones that are all for 12 year olds though like water (laughs) ice in in a junk store (laughs) well i like that we can do this she goes they're all high though and it's different yeah (laughs) You have a $10 bill and the world is your oyster. The world is your oyster. Uh, you know what? Guys, let's welcome him back because we, we've had some busy shows. Fifth year. Tell us what you're looking forward to, brother. Hey, hey, Fifth hey. year. Frankie. Hi, Frank. Good to be back. <laughs> welcome back, my man. Tell us, what's the staple of summer uh, for, for fifth year? Um like you all said like going back to the bars seeing live music i mean i just can't wait but uh i i'm thinking the lines this year are going to be ridiculous because nobody's sitting on their ass this this summer yeah right we've everybody's been biting at the bit to get out there and and go see everybody and start partying again um but yeah very excited to to, to head to bars and uh see some live shows frank where's your spot on the jersey shore where if you're pick if you have one spot to go to what is it and where is it Atlantic city <laughs> why are you laughing it's just frank and russian mobsters hanging out there <laughs> no i you know my family's got the the gamblers itch so uh, yes. but if it, if it's like actual beach weather um it's got to be like lavalette um okay. you know right right near the boardwalk and everything like that beautiful oh. beautiful oh. I, 
I got another telegram here, though. Um, uh, this one's from Santa Fe. They're, it's an APB. They want to know where the hell you are, Frank. What's that? <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. What the hell's a telegram? <laughs> Look, that's the best period at the end of that sentence that's right. ever hoped for. Guys, it was a pleasure talking with you about everything branding. Thanks for bringing your, your years of collective uh, wisdom and expertise to this discussion. This was a good one. Yeah, All we right. always a lot have of fun. a good time. Yeah, now we're, we're, we're excited about the future. We're excited about our next episode. So join us again on Infused, brought to you by The Sales Joint. And, uh, visit us. At, go ahead, Francesca. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And I won't forget to, <laughs> n- to not hit the desk, Mike. Good point. <laughs> good point. Guys, it was fun this time. We're going to see you next time from Delaware. Bye-bye, guys. Bye, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Canachicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.